Hello everyone and welcome back to a new episode of Dodgers We Believe. It's Joe here and I've got to be honest, I may have lost my mind during that game against the Reds last night. So last night was September 10th and we lost to the Reds 6-10. to And I don't know about you guys, but there was one moment in that game that really stood out to me and just really got underneath my skin. I'm talking about Grandal. So in the bottom of the fourth inning last night, Praza singled and Taylor actually had a really great throw to get the ball to home in order to get Billy Hamilton out at home. And it looked like Grandal was going to make the tag and everything was going to be great, but before he made the tag, the ball came flying out of his glove. He just couldn't hold on to it. And this isn't the first time that this has happened with Grandal this season. I can think of at least two other times where he's gone to make a tag at home plate and the and he just, just literally dropped the ball on us and allowed a run that we otherwise should have been able to save. Now, I know that Grandal is a pretty strong catcher, and I'm not trying to say that he isn't, and I'm not trying to say that we should get rid of him or bench him all the time or replace him or anything like that, but I am saying that maybe we should give him just a little bit of time off and give some new guys like Rocky Gale and Kyle Farmer a chance to really prove themselves. Now, we called Rocky Gale up when the rosters expanded at the beginning of September, but we haven't seen him play yet. Like, as far as I know, he hasn't caught for us yet. He hasn't even had a pinch-hitting situation yet. And I find that ridiculous. I mean, we've had the guy on our team for, what, 11 days now, and we haven't seen him hit. So he's been in AAA for us this year, and there he's had a 281 average and 995 fielding percentage as a catcher. Those are some pretty good numbers. Now, they may not translate to the majors, but I'd like to at least give the guy a chance. And then on top of that, we also have Kyle Farmer. He's caught for us in the majors and had pretty good results, though I think he's only done it one time this year. And then again, he was catching for us in the minor leagues in AAA, 992 fielding percentage, 288 batting average, and we've still barely seen this guy since the rosters expanded and we brought him up on September 1st. This is a guy who we know can have results. I mean, just thinking back to last season, his first ever at-bat was a massive walk-off for the Dodgers. This is a guy that we know that we can count on in clutch-hitting situations, and we know that he's a pretty decent catcher too, so I think that it would make a lot of sense for us to bring him in and give Grandal a little bit of time to rest. Now you may be thinking, yeah, we have Barnes as our backup catcher, but I think that if Barnes has told us anything this season, it's that we can't rely on him very much especially going into the postseason. I mean, just look at the numbers that Barnes has put up for us so far this season. He's been very close. He's been basically dancing with the Mendoza line for most of the season. And for anyone who doesn't know, the Mendoza line is having a 200 batting average or below. And he just has not been very productive for us. And so I think it would be a great idea for us to get some of these new guys in, maybe give Grandall a chance to kind of figure out what's going on with him. And help bolster the team a little bit. But that's really all I'm going to say about that. I don't want to beat a dead horse or anything. I know there are a lot of people on the internet that are talking a lot of smack on Grandall right now, and I don't really want to be one of those people. I just felt like I needed to let it out since I was so upset about it yesterday. But now that that's done, we can talk about something a little bit more fun. I want to talk about cheating in baseball. So I know that this month so far has been very stressful for all of us Dodgers fans. I mean, we had that extremely stressful Rockies series in Colorado, followed by this Reds series, and then we go to the Cardinals and then the Rockies again. 
And it's just a very stressful time to be a Dodgers fan. So I wanted to talk about something a little bit more fun, a little bit more lightheaded to maybe get our minds off of this season, just for a little bit. So what I've done is I've come up with seven different ways that baseball players can and have cheated throughout baseball history. So let's just get right into it and start with number one, which is switching out the balls. So this is specifically on this list because of what happened with Todd Frazier September 3rd against the Dodgers. So it was the bottom of the second inning, and Frazier made what appeared to be a spectacular diving catch to get Verdugo out. He fell into the crowd, but then he held up his glove with the ball in it, and the umpire called it out, and that was that. I felt like I couldn't even be mad. Like, if this guy is talented enough to make that diving catch where he goes headfirst into the stands and come out of it with the ball, I feel like he deserves the out. Like, I know it was against the Dodgers, and I should hate him for it and everything, but that was spectacular baseball. Or so I thought. Because the ball that he held up and the umpire called out wasn't the real baseball. So SNY's Steve Gelbs discovered that the ball that Frazier held up wasn't the real ball. Instead, it was a rubber souvenir ball that fell off a bench when Frazier made his dive. So basically, he went over the wall and on his way down, he knocked this baseball out of like this fluorescent green bag and it rolled down and he was able to scoop it up and hold it up for the umpire. Umpire called it out thinking that it was the real ball. And then Fraser was able to basically destroy the evidence by throwing that ball back into the crowd. I feel so bad for whatever fan caught that ball thinking that they were getting a legitimate ball and just got this rubber souvenir. And what's really interesting is if you look at the video, you can actually see like this entire thing unfold. You can see him fall over, you can see the ball rolling off the bench, you can see and throwing the ball back into the crowd. And then if you look closely enough, you can actually see a Dodgers fan in the background. I think he was wearing a Turner jersey holding what appears to be the real ball up in the air. So somebody must have known that this whole thing was a sham before it all came out. And also you could see Frazier back in his dugout talking to his team and he's animatedly telling them something and you can only assume that he's telling them all about how he just tricked the umpire. And now Frazier has actually come right out and said that yeah, he he switched out the balls, what are they going to do to him? And so that kind of brings us to number two on the list, which is the good old hidden ball trick or fake throws. So basically here, the defense makes the runner think that the ball is somewhere else just in order to try and tag them. So a good example of this that also happens to involve Todd Frazier happened in 2017. So Frazier was actually still on the Yankees at the time. They were in Toronto facing the Blue Jays and the Blue Jays second baseman actually faked a throw to their pitcher. Frazier, who was on second at the time, took his foot off the bag and was promptly tagged out. Now, if this had happened after what happened on September 3rd, I would say that it was karma. But now I just think that it's a pretty funny story. And at least we know that Frazier's been had before, too. So number three is the use of pine tar. Now, pine tar has different rules, whether you're a pitcher or a batter, but there have actually been times in history where there have been issues with both. So first, let's talk about pitching. So the official rules state that the pitcher shall not apply a foreign substance of any kind to the ball, and further, that the pitcher shall not have on his person or in his possession any foreign substance. 
For infraction of this section, the penalty shall be immediate ejection from the game. In addition, the pitcher shall be suspended automatically. But of course, it being against the rules doesn't stop pitchers from sneaking pine tar onto balls in order to improve their grip. One prime example of this is Michael Pineda. So this happened in 2014. The game was Yankees versus Red Sox, and in the second inning, the home plate umpire, who just so happened to be Jerry Davis, went to go search Pineda after the Red Sox manager noticed a brown spot on the side of his neck. So Pineda was ejected from the game and received a 10-game suspension with pay after that substance was discovered to be pine tar. He didn't appeal the, the decision and stated that he was using it so he could have better control and wouldn't accidentally hit someone, because apparently it was a very cold and windy night and he wanted to make sure that he had control of the ball so he wouldn't accidentally hurt someone. And the funny thing about this is that a lot of players actually don't mind if the pitchers break this rule as long as the pitcher isn't too obvious about it. Some said that they would actually feel more comfortable knowing that the pitcher had a better grip on the ball and knowing that they were using pine tar as long as they like put it on their hat or their belt or something and just weren't so out there about it. Like nobody wants to acknowledge the fact that someone's cheating. But I mean, sometimes if they do it, they don't care as long as they don't have to have it rubbed in their face like that. And now let's look at the other side. So when batters have used pine tar to cheat. So batters are allowed to use pine tar on their bats, but only so much of it. So the official rules state that the bat handle for not more than 18 inches from its end may be covered or treated with any material or substance to improve the grip. So this brings us to George Bread. I know this story is basically legend and a lot of people probably already know about it. But just in case you don't, I'm, I'm going to go over it anyway. So this happened all the way back in 1983. So at the time, Brett was on the Royals and they were trailing the Yankees 4-3 at Yankee Stadium. Brett hit a two-run homer, putting them in the lead, and everything was just great until the Yankees manager at the time, Billy Martin, saw Brett's bat and thought that it looked like it had more than the 18 inches of allowed pine tar on it. So the umps took a look at the bat and they called Brett out. As you can imagine, Brett was pissed. He ran out of the dugout and it looked like he might actually go and take a swing at the umps. And because of that, he was ejected from the game. Now, here's my personal favorite part of the story. So while Brett was kind of having his little freak out and getting ejected and everything, the Royals pitcher, Gaylord Perry, tried to run off with the bat. But before he could tamper with it, he was caught by a guard, ejected, and the Royals lost. But the story didn't end there. So the Royals actually protested that call and said that the home run should have counted even though Brett cheated. And it seemed like the MLB agreed because nearly a month later, the Yankees and the Royals returned to Yankee Stadium to finish that game as though the homer counted. So they played a game that was so bizarre because it started in the top of the ninth inning with the Royals already having two outs and leading the Yankees five to four. Now Martin, un I think quite understandably of course, was not happy about this and basically decided that this game was not gonna happen. So a couple of his guys who were initially in that game were either injured or I believe one of them had been traded to the Astros. So what he did was he put a pitcher out in center field and then he put his first baseman at the time, Don Mattingly, at second. And then, before his pitcher Frazier threw the first pitch, 
He had him throw the ball to first and then to second in an attempt to say that Brett hadn't actually touched those bases when he was running around like a month before because this game had different umpires who would have no way of knowing if Brett had touched all those bases. So he was like, we're just going to get this out plain and simple. We're going to try to get him out on the home run, get that overturned, game over. But that didn't work. Martin wasn't expecting the crew to have notarized affidavits from the original umpires stating that Brett had touched all of the bases. So the home run was upheld once more, and the Royals went on to win that game 5-4. to four. And now this whole pine tar bat incident is actually Brett's like whole legacy. The Royals actually gave away a bobblehead earlier this year um, commemorating that moment. And so kind of going along with that, number four is the idea of doctored bats. So there are two different ways that I found that people's bats have been doctored, but the main one is cork. And a prime example of this is Albert Bell. So this one was in 1994. And I believe it's also been referred to as Batgate. So Albert Bell was on the Indians, and during the game in question, they were playing the White Sox in Chicago. So the White Sox manager at the time, uh, Lamont, had been tipped off that Bell's bat may have actually been filled with cork. So in the first inning, Lamont challenged the legality of the bat, prompting an umpire to take the bat and lock it in his dressing room to be examined later. So it wasn't exactly a secret in the Indians clubhouse that this bat had been hollowed out and filled with cork. So everyone was kind of freaking out until relief pitcher, who was the relief pitcher, uh, Jason Grimsley, who was off that day, had a thought. He decided that he was going to get that bat and save Bell from suspension. So basically, Grimsley knew that the clubhouse had a fake ceiling, and so he assumed that the dressing room in question would too. So he went and took a look around to see what he was up against, found a flashlight, a cork-free bat, and set out on his mission. So what he did was he climbed onto his manager's desk in his office, removed a ceiling tile, and climbed into the ceiling. And this started quite the journey for Grimsley. So on his journey through the ceiling to the ump's dressing room, he had to balance on a wall that was about 18 inches wide, and he had to maneuver around all sorts of pipes and wires, and he had to be super careful because he didn't want to burst a pipe or fall through the ceiling. And while doing this, he had to figure out where he was supposed to go. And to make it even harder on him, as he went along, the ceiling was slanting, so by the time he reached what he thought was the umpire's locker room, he was basically sliding along this concrete wall on his stomach. So before making it to the actual locker room, he actually miscalculated and removed a ceiling tile from an occupied room um, and it had a groundskeeper in it. And either this groundskeeper didn't notice or he did and decided not to do anything. But after this minor misstep, he made it. He got into the locker room, spotted Bell's bat and switched it out for one of Paul Sorrento's bats because all of Bell's bats apparently were corked. So then Grimsley did a little cleanup to get like his dirty footprints off of everywhere, disappeared back into the ceiling, and then someone walked into the room. Luckily, he was already hidden up in the ceiling, but he had to wait up there until the person left the locker room again before he could return back to the clubhouse. And it took him four innings, but Grimsley made it back to the Indians clubhouse. 
So after the game, which the Indians won, the umpires just immediately knew that the bats had been switched out because the new bat had Sereno's name on it. It wasn't a very well thought out plan. The White Sox officials actually wanted to bring in the FBI to investigate what happened, but the Indians were given the chance to just return the stolen bat without punishment for whoever switched it. So Grimsley didn't face any punishment, but Bell was given a 10-game suspension, which was shorted to seven games after he made an appeal. But cork isn't the only substance that has been found in bats. Another good example of this is from 1974. So to set the scene, Yankees were facing the Tigers, and it was the fifth inning. Third baseman for the Yankees, Greg Nettles, was up to bat, and he hit a single and his bat broke. So when his bat broke, it actually broke at the barrel, and they found that there were some Super Balls inside of his bat. So there are actually some conflicting reports about what happened. Some fans say that when his bat broke, six Super Balls actually came flying out and that the Tigers catcher had to scramble around to pick them all up. But then other reports say that the Super Balls were just ground up inside the bat. But regardless, that single was struck from the books. However, Nettles had actually hit a home run earlier in the game and that home run stood. So he wasn't ejected from the game, but he was suspended for 10 games following that incident. And regardless, the Yankees did win that game 1-0, to so his super bat may have made a big impact on that game. And later, when he was asked about the incident, Nettles actually claimed that a Yankees fan gave him that bat, saying that it would bring him good luck. And he said that he didn't mean to use it, but it was in the rack and looked like the bat that he had been using, so he picked it up and used it. He supposedly had no idea that the bat wasn't normal. Of course, I don't. it doesn't seem like anybody bought that because, like I said, he did serve a 10-game suspension following that incident. And that leads us into number five, which is doctored baseballs. Um, so the main example that I have for this is basically Joan Yekro's emery board. For those of you who haven't heard about this, this happened in 1987. At the time, Yekro was a Twins pitcher, and he was basically caught sanding down the baseballs. So after he threw a strike, um, the home plate umpire noticed that something wasn't quite right with the ball. So they went to go talk to Niekro and confront him. And so Niekro started arguing with the umpires and trying to say that nothing was going on. And while he was in the process of that, he was trying to get rid of the sandpaper and emery board and basically a nail file that he had in his pockets. Like basically he reached into his pockets, grabbed the nail file, and then tried to like fling his arms out in exasperation and just threw the nail file with it. But the thing was, he was obviously trying to be sneaky about it, but it was super obvious. So of course he was caught and he was ejected from the game. He kind of tried to save himself after the game. He was saying that he had the nail file and the sandpaper to keep his nails nice and trim. He said that the sandpaper was, of course, a backup to the nail file in case the nail file somehow got ruined. But of course, nobody bought this because the balls were so scuffed up. Uh, this game was actually against the Angels manager. And the Angels manager was saying that because of how mangled the balls were, there was really no question about whether or not he was tampering with them. There was really no other explanation considering he had the sandpaper and the nail file in his back pockets the entire time. So Niekro was given a 10-game suspension for doctoring with this balls. And this brings us to number six, which is 
stealing signs. Again, not really illegal, but I would still argue that it's cheating. And I may be saying that because the main example of this that probably everybody listening to this podcast already knows about is the giant stealing signs against the Dodgers in 1951. But for anyone who's listening and may not know this story, here's what happened. So this was back when both the Dodgers and the Giants were still in New York. So we're dealing with the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants here. And they were actually in a three-game series competing for the NL pennant. Allegedly, Herman Franks was in the team's clubhouse in center field, and he was using a military scope to read the signs being used between the Dodgers catcher and pitcher. Then, the signs would be relayed to the nearby bullpen and the Giants' backup catcher, uh, Sal Evers, using a buzzer system. And then Evers would then tip off the Giants' hitters to what the signs were. And Evers has actually come out and admitted to the fact that, yeah, they were stealing the signs at home. And not only were they doing it at home, but they were also doing it on the road. And he seemed pretty proud of his team's accomplishments. I mean, what else would you expect from the Giants? Terrible. But I don't really want to spend any more time talking about the Giants because it's just going to make me angry. So let's move on to number seven. And this is probably my favorite example just because it is so absurd. And I think that it is amazing that they even thought of this. So this actually happened in the minor leagues, not in the majors. But in 1987, Dave Bresnahan replaced a baseball with a potato. Yes, you heard that right. A potato. So Bresnahan was the backup catcher playing for the Williamsport Bills, which is the minor league, I think, double A affiliate of the Indians at the time. So he decided that it would be fun to skin, sculpt, and paint a potato to look just like a real baseball and then use that baseball in a game. His reasoning for this was that the season was coming to a close and the Bills were out of contention anyway, so why not? So Bresnahan got the whole club in on his plan and got to work. He picked a game where he knew that he would one, be playing, and two, that attendance would be high because um, I believe they were playing a minor league affiliate of the Phillies and the mascot was going to be there that night, so they knew that people would be there. So his whole plan was to wait until there was a runner on third with two outs, and then he would throw the potato into the outfield in an attempt to pick off the runner. When the runner came home, he would have the real baseball, and he would tag the runner out. And he was so committed to this plan that a few days before the chosen game, he actually attempted to pick off at third just to make it seem like that was something normal that he would do. So the day finally arrived. In the fifth inning, Bresnahan got his chance. He told an umpire that something was wrong with his glove when switched it out and grabbed a glove that he already had sitting aside that had the potato ball in it. And then the play went just how he planned, except the potato exploded on the field when it hit the ground. So before this whole thing, Bresnahan and his team had planned to just kind of walk off the field after the play, but Bresnahan went to do it and nobody followed him. And in the meantime, the third base umpire had run into the outfield to retrieve the ball and realized that it was a potato. Can you imagine the look on his face when he went up expecting to like just find a baseball and there's just like a splattered potato sitting there? Um, so after they decided that it was a potato, the runner was awarded the run at home. 
Bresnahan wasn't ejected from the game, but the Bills manager did pull him out anyway, and he was fined $50. And then on top of that, the next day, the Indians farm director released Bresnahan from the team. Regardless of that, um, the next year, the Bills retired his number, and at the game where they retired his number, the fans could actually gain entrance by paying only $1 and a potato. And that's Bresnahan's legacy. And it's also said that the largest chunk of the potato is actually preserved in alcohol by the baseball reliquary. You can look it up and see a picture online, I think, but it's pretty cool. So yeah, those are seven ways that baseball players can and have cheated throughout baseball history. I know that there's got to be a lot more out there and there must be some more very interesting stories. So if you guys can think of any at all, please feel free to tweet them at us. Our handle is at WeBelieveInLA and we definitely welcome all of your guys' comments and hopefully we'll get some great stories from you guys about cheating. Until next time when hopefully Jake will be here. This is Joe, Dodgers, we believe.